We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. What is it that allowed you to go from, you know, being the man, all these workers, three floors, you know, that, to I got a table, but I'm still going forward. Two main things. One is when you're born poor, you automatically acquire the ability to live with doing bad. It just comes natural for you, right? And the other one was something you have to develop, the suppression of the ego, Mm. You know, so mm. once I suppress my ego and, and said, I'm going to go back on 125th Street with that little table and sell T-shirts and people might laugh or they might say, look what happened to that, you know, and, and that happened. But when you have a purpose in your heart, it, you ain't going to be, I knew what I was going to be able to do. So if everybody you, knows how to do good, but everybody don't know how to do bad. ego... Then you, have you, to, you have to suppress the ego. Then you can get out of a bad situation. You can get out of a bad situation. This, it's this the is, ego that kills us. Dapper Dan is hip-hop personified. He's Harlem personified. He's hustling personified. He's a fashion legend who had a three-floor custom tailoring business in Harlem in the 80s where he could make you anything you wanted. Louis Vuitton suits, Fendi car seats, Gucci bags, stuff the labels didn't make and wouldn't touch. But Dap knew how to get that fabric with those highfalutin labels all over it, slice that stuff up, design something new, and serve a clientele that the European fashion houses didn't even care about. By the way, they were the flyest people in New York City. The people who were building early hip-hop style. People like... Eric B. and Rakim, LL Cool J, Mike Tyson, and Alpo Martinez, one of Harlem's biggest dealers. Dap brought the artist sampling to fashion, taking the big label's clothes and reshaping them into something new and fresh. This made him hot until it didn't. Dap got sent to prison for copyright infringement, but he rebuilt his life and now he's in a partnership with Gucci making custom Dapper Dan Gucci gear legally with materials and marketing provided by the storied Italian brand. It's an amazing turnaround for an amazing man. Let's dig into his journey. It's Dapper Dan on Torre Show. I've been wanting to ask you this for 20-some years. When Mike Tyson and Mitch Blood Green are fighting outside your store, yeah, where are you? What are you hearing? What are you doing? What are you? What is your part of that situation? Okay, <laughs> Mike is like Harlem because there's a there's the Mike Tyson before Custia Amato died, mm-hmm. and the Mike Tyson after. Yep. So yep. the Mitch Green fight is the Mike Tyson afterwards, and yeah, that's got, what and he that's got. Wilder had less discipline. Uh, he didn't have a he didn't have he didn't have a father. No, nobody to contain him. He was yeah. a young man. Yeah. You know, like and he and he he was like young man with all that money, and that's what happened. So uh, anyway, the night of the the event that that happened, I was waiting on Mike. First of all, I'll tell you this. I went out with Mike, and I'm, I'm, I don't smoke, drink, or do nothing like that. I'm pure Harlem. And at the time I opened the store, all that kind of stuff was behind me. So I went out with them one time, and I saw the riotous kind of way they act. I said, no, nah, that's not me. So I had a special guy that I used to let take out all the people who want to have that kind of fun. And he was out with 
Mike Tyson that night, and I'm waiting for them to come back because I had the special jacket for Mike. So I'm waiting. What for, was the jacket that you? The were jacket making? was uh he uh, um what uh it was called uh don't believe the hype. Right, it had that on the back. Yes, he had that on and the back. What was the color? What is it? What was it? White, like? black, and gold, and that's the colors he wanted. White, uh, white, with black piping and gold trimming. Okay. Yeah. So, and he wanted that on the. Don't believe the hype on the back. So, um, there was a lot of stuff going on around there. There, Mike just just got tired of that, um, and um, he wanted that that. Ooh, what, what, what hip hop? Uh, what them hip hop? You know the. Who, Don't believe the hype, public enemy. Huh? Don't believe the hype, public enemy. Public enemy, yeah. So he was really into public enemy at the time. So and that that was like apropos for what was going on with him all, all around that all this talk that was taking place. So anyway, I'm waiting for him to come back. I, I sent him out with Tom. Tom is my ride man. He rides with all the guys who want to have fun. So I sent him out with Tom. I'm waiting for them to come back. And it's two thirty. You know we open twenty four hours. Uh, two thirty. I said, man, they're gonna be out too late. So I, I go on home, and then Mike arrives at three thirty. But Mitch Blood Green hangs in the neighborhood, and we have these kids in the neighborhood. They all know me, and they are they call the Gremlins. So the Gremlins have a, a tendency of chasing anybody away from the area that it's not right, and they used to like pick at Mitch Blood Green, but he would, like, ward him off all the time. So he's a big guy, so they big didn't want guy. to tackle him like that. But they would um, tease him about, oh, Mike Tyson whipped your butt. Mike Tyson whipped your butt. <laughs> this particular night, Mike Tyson is in the store, and they're teasing him, and they're saying, yeah, Mike Tyson whipped your butt, and he's around Daps right now. So... Mitch Blood Green is with his girlfriend, you know, and they come around to the store. They see Mike. Did you see the pictures yet in Which the book? Picture? No. I kept these pictures hidden for 30 years. Yeah. What page is that? For th- yeah. I, I, I kept it, and, and I'll give you a breakdown of it, of the pictures when you see it, right? Okay. Yeah. So these pictures I kept hidden for—that's uh, me and Jelani— these pictures I had kept hidden for 30 years because because of the code of the street, mm-hmm. I never let the uh, police or anybody see those. Okay. All right? Okay. And, okay. 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 So you start with the Here first picture go. and I'll give you a breakdown. So Mitch, Mitch Green, you see him standing up there? Yeah. That's when he enters the store. Mitch Green enters the store, right? At 4 a.m. At 4 a.m. And Mike Tyson says to him, yo, what's up, man? Shake my hand, man. So that's when you see the next picture. They're shaking hands. But Mitch Green... You see him when he leans over, he said, you know you didn't beat me, right? You know you didn't beat me. You know Don Ching cheated me out that money, right? So he said, man, come on, man, with that. Then he went to an altercation. So Mike got up, got fed up with the argument, got up, walked outside, right? Yeah. And then that picture you see, Mitch Blood Green, Mike's Rolls Royce is parked outside. You see them by the Rolls Royce? Right. And Mitch Blood Green ripped the side mirror, front side mirror off the Rolls Royce. And that's the next picture you see, Mike decking him. <laughs> you took these pictures? No, my uh, my nephew took them. Okay. He was my night manager. Okay. We had a camera in the store, you know, for every, all the, we had stars coming through all the time. So right. we make sure that we get pictures of all the stars, all right. the entertainment, like that. So then, so Mike knocks him out. But where, where are you in all this? What are you thinking? I had just, doing? I just went home. I had just left. Oh, I was you tired weren't away. there. No, I had just left. Right. But surely somebody called you and was like, "Yo, Dad." Absolutely. It's going and that's down. when I came back and uh, was a. Uh, Mike had went to the hospital by that time. Yeah, and Mitch, had, Mitch, Mike was in the hospital. Mitch Green was in the precinct. So I didn't uh, go to either location. <laughs> <laughs> Did that incident create a level of notoriety that then led to Sonia Sotomayor and the government saying, wait a minute, we need to look at this and, and, and then you yeah, shut down? Yeah, um, I think it was like it really exploded on Monday night football. 
I think that was like the biggest part of it. It was in the newspapers and all that there. But Monday Night Football was on, and you know how they had the helicopter up there? Yeah. And so the helicopter, the guys who, you know, sportscast up in the helicopter, and they're just making fun of the incident. They say, yeah, somewhere down there is Dapper Dan's 24-hour boutique cracking up, you know, where Mike was. And, and, and then from that point on, it just the publicity just kept spreading, spreading, spreading. But what, ha- what, ha- what led to them saying, we got to stop this? Because um, you were operated for a good 10 years, right, before, before yeah, they be- came through? Yeah, before that happened. So what happened was that um, you had, I had all the hip-hop artists. And so hip-hop as a musical form is growing now. Huge. You know? It's hot. So, and then Mike Tyson, you know, and then. And all these guys are showing up wearing stuff that you can't get in a store. Everybody knows it's coming from you, and they were all. Yeah, you know what's so ironic? People was going down to the Gucci store asking for outfits that they saw with the guys who are the rappers with on, thinking that the Gucci store had it. So it was was inevitable, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and that led to all the attention. And the next thing you know, um, the the, the, the brands took out, like, MCM, Fendi, Louis Vuitton, they took out um, cease and desist orders. So the cease and desist orders kept coming. They kept raiding me, kept raiding me. And every time they have to raid me, they have to write to take out anything that has the brand's name on uh, it. trademark on it. Sure. So the last one to raid me was like... Um, and these raids are Fendi. These raids are bad for business. This is hard. Yeah, yeah, they right. They hard. take a whole bunch of your yeah, they, product. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, you got to remember that uh, jackets were selling from three to five thousand, and sweatsuits. The cheapest sweatsuits was like thirteen, twelve, thirteen hundred. When you got a jacket, and this is in the eighties. When you got a jacket that costs three thousand dollars to purchase, what does that cost you to make at that time? Oh, uh, okay. The three thousand dollar jacket. Let me see. That would be like. Um, Let's see, one, five skins. It cost me to make labor and all, maybe 350 maximum, labor and everything. 350 that's an amazing yeah. markup. Did that include get sourcing the material? Sourcing the material and everything, yeah. And now you got your material from boosters, right? Oh, no, that's, that's before I even opened up the store. Oh, you want to hear that story? That's yeah. a different story. That's, a, that's when I'm in the street and I'm, I'm hustling, right? Okay. And so I had just got out of jail, and I had to come up with a hustle, right? So this is a 30-day 30, 30 plan. The 30-day Dapper Dan gets you some money quick plan, okay? <laughs> so, when I, <laughs> so when I got out of jail, right? How long were you in for? Uh, Somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 days. Okay. I never did no time in the United States. The only time I did is in foreign jails. I'm not not local, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Foreign jails? We got to come back to that. Okay, go on. You're trying to make me (laughs) laugh. No, I'm just trying to follow the story. (laughs) Yeah, so so I'll tell that part later. So anyway, I did (laughs) did 90 days, right? So I come home, and I say, I got to get me some money. I'm dead broke. So the boosters, I know the boosters, right? So the, they say, yo, Dap, man, um, you take us out, we give you $50 a piece to drive them, you know, to the location. So $50 a piece, that's $100, right? So I, I drive them, they do the boosting. Now, they come back, they pay me the $100, and then they sell me everything they boost at 25% of whatever it costs. Right, so I did that for thirty days. So thirty times one hundred is three thousand. Plus all the stuff that they stole from my thirty days, I got a twenty-five percent, and I sold all that. So inside of a month, I had knocked me up like twelve, thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars. Now I'm ready to go do something else. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So now I put somebody else on onto them, let them drive, and I'm still buying from them. But I'm, you know, I'm a professional gambler at that time. So now I got my gambling game back on. What was your hustle as a gambler? What was what, your game? Cards, crap, two dice and three dice. Yeah. That, poker? Yeah, poker. Poker, tunk, whatever, but poker was the main thing, yeah. And you could and you could make steady money playing poker. Yes. Professionally. So I mean, it seems like you're just always on the hustle and figuring out how to make it work for you. Be it gambling or be it in in, in fashion or 
I mean, is that no? You know what that comes from? That comes from I call that tooling. When I look tooling, tooling, because um, the further back you go in time, we fabricate a living from whatever's around us. Yes, and this is what I grew up in. I grew up in you know my father was probably the only uh, working person that I knew. You know, everybody, all my uncles, all, a, all the you relatives. You never had a job. They was all hustlers. You never had a job. I had a job for a little while. Little you know, while. I don't get no Social Security. It was months. You know, I, I um, no, I, I, I don't take all this well. <laughs> I really don't. You know, <laughs> it's too limited. You know, the glass ceiling hit me early. <laughs> when you, you know, talk I, about fabricating a lifestyle, I mean, you did that literally yes. with this business. Yes. And um, and I, I, I kept looking for like when you read the book, you see that I went from one type of hustle to the next type of hustle to the next type of hustle. And each time I never went back to whatever it was I did last, except for one time, and that was for gambling. Gambling I could live with because of the nature of what I was doing, but the rest of them um, I could never go back to. Like, I could never go back to, like, um, selling drugs. So, I- so, when you were, so when you're in your heyday with the store— I had a lot of heydays. Which one? I mean, in the in the in the '80s, okay. When, when all the rappers and the fighters, everyone's coming through. For, just take me to the beginning of the tributary. Where are you acquiring? Are you still acquiring from the boosters? Or are you acquiring them? No, no. After else? after after that, you know. Um, see, there's a period in between. Like when I left the street, I left the street for a while. I went to school. I went back to to um, high school at 23 and spent like seven years just studying. You know, going from you know, back in in the '60s, going in the '70s and '80s, when I in my formative years, you couldn't uh, you couldn't get in college with a, uh, right, GED. Right. So uh, the Urban League had this program. I went through the Urban League program, and, and through the program, you go to Street Academy. From the Street Academy, you go to the Academy and transition. The Academy and transition. You go to prep school. From prep school, you get a scholarship to go to college and. The process took me to Iona College, and that's when I returned to the street again uh, and remade myself in a different mindset. Now, before that, I was selling drugs, but then when I went into that, I went back. And I said, I didn't mind because of the environment that I grew up with. I said, I don't mind going back to jail, but I would never go back to jail for selling drugs to people. You know, uh, it was one young lady who used to work for the, um, she's the only one that refused in the neighborhood where I used to hang out in Gamla that refused to sell drugs for um, the guys who had made American Gangster, Frank mm-hmm. Lucas and them, which their street name was the Country Boys. Mm-hmm. And something she said to me always stuck. And I asked her, when her brother-in-law had got busted, and I said, why? I said, um, dang, man, he got busted. He's going to get a lot of time. And she says to me, that's what happens to people who make money off other people's sorrows. Mm-hmm. 16-year-old girl said that. Mm-hmm. That resonated with me forever. So, plus, you know, when I, I just couldn't tolerate seeing what happened to my people with drugs. So mm-hmm. before I was 22, I was, I was through with that game. And that's why you hear me say that's cursed. Because I grew up in the 50s. I saw what Harlem was like before drugs. Right. And then I saw it afterwards. Right. I saw the horror afterwards. Right. So, and I know this was wrong. I could not live with that. So I never did that again. But you, but, but, but the dealers were major clients for you. Yes, they were major clients for me. That's true. Because I said to myself, what kind of clientele am I going to get if I open up a store? Middle class blacks are not going to. No. They're not going to come to my store. That's out, right? They, they, uh, the, what we call the bougies back in there. I say, <laughs> the bougies are not coming. So I said, I better cater to the people who I know. And all the gangsters in Harlem knew me from the streets. So I said, I'm going to cater to them. And that was my clientele. You know, so. You had Nicky Barnes? Yeah. I'm, the, where I was from? Yeah. That's right. right he, was in my one of, he was one of your people? Yeah, I, I got something in my, my, and yeah, one of our big fans. What would you sell to him? First. Stuff like that, yeah. That was before the logomania. 
Yeah. And in fact, I got some in my archives. I got, uh, we gave the biggest dance. Me and Nikki Bond's lieutenant gave the biggest dance in Harlem at the time at the uh, Renaissance Ballroom. Never forget that, dear. Yeah. So, uh, it's amazing. One thing about gangsters in Harlem, and for today, gangsters everywhere. Everybody, everybody who rises up in different cities, they know. They know the key people in other cities, and, and everybody who yeah. rolls up in different neighborhoods in Harlem, they know the key guys in the other neighborhoods. Yeah. It works that way. Yeah. They, may, they show up at the games, yeah. the major events, and they yeah. interact. Game you know? recognized. Yeah, game. and it's a mutual yeah. respect. Yeah. Yeah. Would it? Go on. Yeah, so um, I'm catering to all the gangsters and everything, and then first is the drug game, then it's the, uh, the regular heroin, and then— Crack came, and then the whole complexion changed. That was like really the height of the business when the crack epidemic hit, and that's when Harlem was flooded with money. And but that's di- but as you're saying, that's a different. It's a the selling of heroin had a different impact on the community than the yeah. selling of crack. Yeah, well, with heroin, guys could stay high all day. They didn't have to steal, but once a day. But with crack, it was every fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. 15 minutes. I seen guys go in the block with new Timberlands on or new Nikes on and come out running with their feet, going to smoke the crack, right? selling right off their back. I never see—there's it, it, nothing that compares to crack. It's a more intense high, so it yeah. makes you do more to get it. Yeah, man. It's like uh, I think before it hit Harlem, uh, one of the major drug guys was saying, he said, man, yo, you know what's coming— he said, I said, what are you talking about? He said, they're going to be chasing the dragon. I never knew what he was talking about until it hit, because it started in California. I called it Chasing the Dragon. Um, I used to hang out in, in Nicky Barnes Partners Club called the Jagazi on Leonard Avenue, and that's the first time I saw it, man. And I saw these people go crazy, man, do crazy things for it, man. What was turn them like? into animals. Yeah, yeah. What was Nicky like as a man? A gentleman. Believe that or not, a, a gentleman capable of v- being very dangerous. It amazed me one time. I, I, was, uh, I was parked, and a guy had him double parked. I'm going to see what happened. And Nicky walked up to the car and said, sir, could you move your car, please? You know, he was a gentleman. Everybody in Harlem would tell you who knows him. He's from my neighborhood. So every, you ask anybody in my neighborhood, they don't have nothing bad to say about Nicky. You know, he never did nothing he didn't have to do. If you didn't owe him, you don't have no problem with him. You know, he didn't. He didn't harass. He didn't swing his weight. Everybody liked him. And believe it or not, you know, you remember the hustle dance was out? Yeah. Nicky used to like get high, go to his, he had a club called, what was the name of the club? Um, on 152nd Street, 8th Avenue. You go up, we go up there and hang out and he dancing. Him and him, him, him and his hustle. partner be up there dancing the hustle all night. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's a regular guy. But, um, you know, he made a transformation. Nicky was like a, he used to be a, a drug addict. Before he went away and, he, you know, turned Muslim in there. And then when he came out, that's when he was formidable. He was dangerous then, you know. Um, he was able to do what he did. But yeah, everybody you can't make, liked him. I you, don't know nobody you, who didn't like him. You can't make it to the top of that pyramid just being nice. It takes more than just being nice. No, man. The guy who I patented myself out, uh, the best gambling and best hustler in Harlem is uh, Joe Jackson. They call him Gentleman Joe Jackson. You know, everything about my hustling skills, the final things that I learned, I learned from watching him. Here's the thing about being nice. When you're powerful, you don't have to be other than nice. Right. You know, anybody who's mean and nasty and dirty, they they are those who feel intimidated. Nikki has never been intimidated, you know, from day one. He was a stick-up kid before before he went to jail right. when he was when he was on drugs. He was a stick-up kid. Right. So when he came out, his his reputation, you know, preceded him. So it wasn't he wasn't no guy like that. And the east side from East Harlem from where we come from is different, you know? In fact, where I had my store at Nikki and them had three bars along there. The groceries, the, the whole, if you look at the, the case, the whole case evolves around my location where the store was. Okay, okay. Yeah. And you also worked a lot with Alpo, who was big in a different era. Yeah. And you start to see the difference of Harlem and difference of the drug that's being sold. Yeah, see, now, Alpo is um, part of a generation that didn't connect with the generation before him. So that's the, he is the part of the deconnect 
generation. What do you mean? By that, I mean, it's like, you know, older guys teaching younger guys, teaching younger guys, like the latter. He didn't, he didn't come in that. That was like, you have to understand what happened with drugs, right? When Alpo came about, before Alpo, Alpo came along when the um, cartels took over. So prior to the cartels took over, what was happening in Harlem was that the Italians that we grew up with from East Harlem, they were called the um, the Purple Gang, mm-hmm. which they morphed over from the gangs that we knew as kids, which was the uh, uh, what was the the Red Wings and the Italian Dukes, and we all went to school together in East Harlem. So and they morphed into a group, a gang called the Purple Gang, who. John Gotti's brother, Gene Gotti, was responsible for, like, hitting all the major dealers in Harlem. So there was stability. In other words, you had to be—you had to know them Italians to get it. Right. And so it wasn't murdering, it wasn't killing, it wasn't all of that there because only certain guys got it, right? But the cartels moved into Harlem, and they began to supply everybody, and it was coming out of Washington Heights— they supplied everybody. So now Alpo comes along and that generation comes along. So now anybody with money can go up there and be a boss. And so that's when all the murders started because now you have people fighting over territory that initially they had no power in. Right. Because they had no money to, to purchase drugs then. So that starts to shift. I'm, I'm going to be writing about that later on to show how the decadence of what happened in Harlem evolved because of the drug trade. Right. Yeah. The decades. And then so it was the Italians. It shifted to the to la, the Latinos, right? And then after that, they just anybody kept going by their We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First.
Elizabeth I, the podcast, wherever you listen. I mean, you talk about Nikki as a gentleman. I imagine Alpo was not a gentleman like that. Um, I'm not saying he wasn't a gentleman. I'm saying that he wasn't connected in a way that it, it was like an unstable way. There's no one, there was no older guys around saying you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that, you know? Well, what was he like? He was like, he was and is a joyful kind of guy, playful kind of guy, you know, but... um. And you get to see a certain side of them because when they come to you, they're spending their money. Very good they're being question. Fly. Because they, you know, when they're around somebody who is somebody who or who people look up to, then you get a different kind of personality. That works no matter where you are. Sure. Yeah. So it was. Yeah, it was a and lot you, of that. You, you were the spoils of of the victory. We go to Daps, spend some money, get some clothes. You know, everybody's going to know I'm the man. No, no, no. Yes, but it's more than that. They know if they come to my store and the legacy that I have in the store, everybody knows me. Everybody, So everybody wants to go to some place where there's someone who everybody relates to. Mm-hmm. That's then as well as now, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So um, that's what that was about. So if they had questions or somebody they wanted to meet, they know they can come and ask me about it. Or, or even if they had a beef, they ask me, man, could I... I know somebody can straighten something out. Or you can connect yeah. anybody with anybody. Exactly. If I choose to. Sure. I don't choose to a lot of times. Yeah. It, 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 in, as far as I can tell, there is not currently a major figure like Nikki for his era, Alpo and Fat Cat for their era. It seems that it's different now. Yeah, but that's, that's the, and that's the direct results of um, the ins- the unstableness that develop as a result of anybody. Anybody can get enough drugs to be a boss now. So there's no kingpins. And there's a lot of guys who are selling drugs make less than somebody with a job. Right. You know? Right. There's no kingpins in- anymore. Not in-, not in Harlem. No more kingpins. How did, how did you know how to design how, uh, look, um, let me see if I can give you something comparable to that. If if you never had something, you had a great desire for it, when you see it, you say, Dad, when I get that, I know how I want it to look. I knew the look I wanted. I knew the things that I like. And I already had a reputation in Harlem for dressing. And I watched the older guys, how they dress. If you want to know initially where it came from, I think it came from the Rat Pack watching as my older brother did, Sammy Davis Jr. You know. Sinatra. Sinatra. Yeah, yeah. Sinatra, Dean Martin, Peter Lawford. I mean, they, they, they had... But... Miles Davis and, 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 you know, Miles Davis had a really unique style. I used to hear my brothers and them, all of them talk about them. But that, they, they, those are the ones who set the trend. We'll get back to the show in one second. But these days, a lot of workplaces offer really nice perks. A snack station, 15 different flavors of soda water even insurance. And it's nice to have a handful of trail mix and some water that tastes like pamplemousse. But that's not enough to subsist on. You gotta have life insurance. And you gotta have Policy Genius helping you get the right life insurance. Don't just rely on whatever Pam and HR chose for you. Policy Genius is the easiest way to shop for life insurance online. In just a few minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers and find the right amount of coverage at the best possible price. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. You can also get home insurance, auto insurance, disability insurance, whatever. So remember, workplace life insurance policies are like workplace snacks. Better than nothing, but not quite enough. Go to PolicyGenius.com today and find out how to supplement your workplace life insurance and better protect your family so you can sleep at night. When you have good life insurance, you can relax knowing your family will be taken care of if something happens. Policy Genius, it's like a buffet made of life insurance and what could be more delicious than that it's interesting that you go to folks who came 
way before hip hop and had an aesthetic way different than hip hop because you become the embodiment of hip hop style. Yeah. You are creating hip hop style that yeah. that that big logos, big labels all over the place, sampling and all that sort of stuff and and your clothes like the the rap pack clothes you're talking about were tailored, right? Okay. Your clothes were big. Yeah. Well, follow my reasoning how that's developed, right? So you got the Rat Pack, right? Today, you have the hip-hop artists. They have particular stores they go to, right? Gucci, Louis Vuitton, Fendi. The Rat Pack had particular stores they went to. Cy Martins, Phil Cronfield, Layton's, Siegel Brothers. All those were the key stores where they shopped at, right? These were also the stores you might have heard me, my friend Pee Wee Kirkland, talking about where... They Legendary ball player. Alibaba, Alibaba in the 40s where they used to go down and throw the garbage can in and run inside and snatch. So we, were, we always was familiar with styles at the time, right? So now you got those. What is the nature of style? The nature of style is like who's wearing it and what does it cost and what makes it that way? So initially it's alligators, crocodiles, silks, fine leathers. You know, and all kind of furs, right? That sets the pace. So when I open up my store, that's what I set the pace. So what does a hustler want to look like? What does uh, people with vertical mobility want to look like? They want to look rich. They want to let the world Richer. know that they came right, the nouveau rich. Yeah. They want to let the world know how they came about. So I'm at the time now, by the time I opened my store, I was already into metaphysics and studying religion. And the core of religion is symbolism, Right. So I was always familiar by the time I opened my store with the nature of symbolism and what it does, right? So now I'm seeing these all these guys with that, and I say, well, what can I sell? I can't sell diamonds, you know, but I can sell furs. So that's a status symbol, so I'm selling the furs. Now, while I'm selling the furs, one day a guy comes in the store, Jack, you know, like I told you, the drug gun, Jack is the kingpin in Harlem at the time. His name is Jack Jackson. He's the one who told on John Gotti's brother, Gene Gotti. And you'll see in uh, one of the documentaries I do, I'm holding up a paper showing the Harlem connection. And that's the point in which it shifts from the Italians to the, the cartels. So Jack Jackson was the last one. Well, anyway, he comes in the store one day and he has a, a pouch, you know, a Louis Vuitton pouch. Because Louis Vuitton, Gucci, and they didn't make clothes at the time. So he gets a Louis Vuitton pouch. And everybody gets, he pulls all these $100 bills out, buying stuff and everything. And everybody gets crazy over that pouch he has, right? And I say, damn, they crazy over that pouch. What is it about the pouch? I'm making clothes, so what is it about the pouch? It's like the pouch was maybe $5 worth of vinyl, but it was Louis Vuitton, you know what I'm saying? $5 worth of vinyl. So I say, what is it about the pouch? And then I look at the pouch, I say, it's the symbols. It's the symbols. They are fascinated with the symbols, the LV, you know, and the, and, and the ancient variation of the, the Eastern Cross. I say, that's what it is. So I did the research on the symbols. I say, if they feel that way about them symbols, imagine if I can have them walking around looking like luggage with all those symbols on them, right? So I already understood. So now you have luxury transference. The same things that they were feeling for diamonds and furs, they're feeling for these symbols. So I took these symbols and built around them. And what I did was I used variations in style that I knew I liked and I knew they would like because they followed the leader. And that's how I built my, my brand. Do you think that you could have built your brand on fabrics that did not have logos? Do I think I could sell? A brand? Yeah, because 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 no, that's a, that's for a different kind of customer. You you know, even now, there's a lot of customers around the world. Even now, people want other people to know that they're rich. Now, I have one friend I don't want to call his name out. He always has to come up to me and tell me what he paid for something. A lot of people do. So that. he figured I'm an important guy. Let me tell him what I paid for this. A lot of men. Yeah, but do yeah, that. yeah, they'll do that. You but you don't go up to a stranger. Right. And say, yo, you know I pay. But you're not a stranger to anybody. <laughs> but you, part of what you were selling, you're talking about, is these symbols, the symbol of Gucci, Vuitton, Fendi, whatever. Yeah. And if your clothes had not had 
Vuitton, Fendi, whatever label all over it. They it, would have to be either like the stuff you see me do for Floyd Mayweather in the ring. It have to be distinctively expensive. So for Floyd Mayweather, you see me using furs and crocodiles and things that make a statement. If they don't make a statement, then why even go out and why would you hustle for money if you can't get things that make statements? You know? That's so Harlem. That's <laughs> so Harlem. Yeah. Does I, Gucci understand you? Do they understand me? Yeah. Of course they do. Marco and Alexandro, anybody who studies fashion and understand what I've done and what they're doing. But what I see them doing, I don't know that they, like, they clearly have accepted you. And they have accepted that you are part of this universe. You have a clientele that loves you. You have made fashion history. So they, they get that. But I feel like they're like, People love him. He's clearly doing something. Let's align with him. But do we really understand what he's doing? Oh, no. They don't, they don't understand because to understand somebody, um, what I'm doing, because um, I pay attention to culture. Like, uh, okay, let's go back to the Rat Pack and the power of the Rat Pack, right? Sammy, um, mm, uh Nothing. Um, Nat King Cole, mm. 1951, 1952, he had the best, best-selling best records. Mm-hmm. Super popular, right? Mm-hmm. He was the first one to get a variety show, black man to get a variety show, right? He was His product that he was selling on the variety show was Rango Beer, but he didn't have a national product. And I remember watching this with my brother. And each week he announced he had a cloth over item and said, next year, next week I'm going to announce what my product is, my national product is going to be. Because he needed a national product in order for the variety show. And he was getting support from Dean Martin, even Frank Sinatra and all of them, right? But so he never got that product, and he went off the air. And you know what he said? Madison Avenue is afraid of the dark. And I learned a big lesson from that there. Like, in order for us to elevate, we have to understand the nature of how Madison Avenue works. Mm-hmm. So when you look from the time, so Nat King Cole was right at the cusp of rock and roll because right after that jazz era came, rock and roll came, right? And then that's and then next thing you know, you got the Beatles and everything. And then you look at uh, the remix and you look at all these documentaries on 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 music, and you see like John Lennon and the Beatles, they're at the height, and they are the ones who's making all the money. But they're like the spinners and and all of them. They have to do all these shows every day at right. the Apollo. Let me show you how this connects. These these entertainers are becoming what's known as the influencers. For products. So there's this constant thing of influencers, influencer, influencer. But what I realized early on that we never made any money off our cultural product, which is our music, basically. Right. So I was already prepared to do what I had to do to see to it that I made some money off hip hop because I saw what happened to Nat King Cole. Do you understand? So I was trying to prepare for that. You know, and I talk about that, prepare for the possibility to, for me to sell to anybody. But I could never get to that level. You know, they came at me, but they came at me with um, sharecropping. You know, that's You're what it is. You're sharecropping been. now. Well, no, not sharecropping now. I'm definitely not sharecropping well, here, now. But, here's but the... I'm talking about in the 80s now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. So we have to pay attention, and I, as I did, pay attention to the power of the brand. Now, your MTV rap is coming up, right? Yeah. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. 
Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, so with your MTV rap, every all the rappers is, is on your MTV raps with Dapper Dan on. Right. So now I have the influences, right, that Nat King Cole didn't have. Do you understand what I'm saying? He didn't have that kind of power because the rappers is going into every community, the Latino community, the white community, and everybody. So they have that broad base, and they gave me that broad base. But that all caved in on me when I got raided. Do you understand? Your store is on... 125th Street. 125th Street. There are Gucci boutiques... 40 blocks below that in Manhattan. Can I get your clothes at a Gucci boutique in Midtown or downtown or Soho or anywhere else? No, absolutely not. They they wasn't familiar with our culture. But that's what I'm saying, that if they really understood you, then I would be able to get your clothes elsewhere right why why can i get not get a dapper dan piece at another gucci location because um first of all you need to um have uh people who you could market to what i was selling so remember i had the first i had the gangsters now now the rappers are beginning to make money so i have the rappers right so Gucci did not have the cultural ideas yet, you know. Right. So, and and because of that, they didn't know which direction to go in, you know. But now the rappers had such an impact; they're changing the mindset of young white boys, you know. So now that's a whole new arena. Now Gucci got to figure this out. Louis got to figure this out. Fendi got to figure this out. There's people who want this stuff, and they're not getting it from yeah, them. They're yeah, getting yeah, it from they you. Say, well, what is it that Dapper Dan is doing? You, I'm saying if they really understood you, it would not just be a store. They would treat you like a designer to where we're going to have some of his pieces in the stores and, and other places. You got to remember what Nat said. They were afraid of the dark. They couldn't see. They didn't have the vision to see yet that a black man could generate that thing. And, and they didn't want that. What's the difference between a good designer and a great designer? A good designer is one who can capture the pulse of culture. A great designer is one who understands where culture is going. It's all culture. It's all culture. You know, either you learn about it or you create it. Yeah, it's all culture. I mean, when I read about your story, so much of it seems to be he taught himself this, he taught himself that. Yes. He asked the right questions, yes. and he learned this, and he learned that. And that seems to me to be at the core of your story, yes. that that I knew how to figure out anything I wanted to yes. so I could go anywhere I wanted to go. Yes. The power of um, the power of information. I read one time um, in one of my books on metaphysics that the universe is comprised of energy and information. I say, well, and we are a microcosm or a macrocosm. So that means that we, the height of who we are is energy and information. So if you take advantage, take advantage of the energy that's inside of you and then gather the information you need, you can do whatever you want. And so that's why I did. I read my way into anything that I wanted to do. You were this major iconic figure. I mean, if you loved hip hop, you knew all about Dap. It wasn't just Rakim and them. It wasn't just the DJs. Dap was part of that whole 80s 
universe. Mm-hmm. And you disappeared for a while after yeah. the raid. Yes. Where'd you go? What'd you do? I went underground because the brands kept raiding me, raiding me, raiding me, broke. So I went underground and I had to rebuild. I started with a Chanel t-shirt and a little table like this. I went from a three-story building with 23 tailors and a 2,000-square-foot factory where I did cars and everything, and they raided me back down to a little table like this with Ino and Chanel T-shirts and no workers. But still still in Harlem? Still in Harlem, right now. So I went from 125th Street to that high level where I had all those workers and, and all that real estate. I had My payroll every, every week was... For the, for the workers, is $12,000 a week. That's $48,000 a month. My rent was 4000 2000 in both places a month, and I went from that to a little square table because of the raids. They raided me broke, so I said I was going to come back. I started with a little table by myself, just me and my wife, and we sat at that table. I made iron-on Chanel T-shirts till I could figure it out. That next year, I had $100,000 after I started. I got one worker, then two workers, and then I started making guests became popular, and I started making these little guest outfits for girls, and I was selling 50 or 60 of them a day. What is it that allowed you to go from, you know, being the man, all these workers, three floors, you know, that, to I got a table, but I'm still going forward? Two main things. One is when you're born poor, you automatically acquire the ability to live with doing bad. It just comes natural for you, right? And the other one was something you have to develop, the suppression of the ego, Mm. you know? So Mm. once I suppress my ego and and said, I'm going to go back on 125th Street with that little table and sell T-shirts and... People might laugh or they might say, look at what happened to Dap, you know, and, and that happened. But when you have a purpose in your heart, it, you ain't going to be I knew what I was going to be able to do. So if everybody you, knows how to do good, but everybody don't know how to do bad. If you can suppress the ego, then you have, you, to, you have to suppress the ego. Then you can get out of a bad situation. You can get out of a bad situation. This, it's this the is, ego that kills us. You know, if I could like, I hadn't been in the subway I hadn't been in the subway for like 20-something years because it's, it's that ego thing. You know, I had a Mercedes-Benz. I had a Jeep. The Mercedes-Benz is all gucci down. The Jeep was all MCM out, and I had a van, and I parked the Jeep and the Mercedes-Benz in front of the store to play into other people's egos. So I knew the nature of egos, and I drive around in my van because I knew they see that. That's that, but damn, man, that's, that's that. Yo, that's him, man. And so you could never catch me in the subway. See, you know, you look at the subway, somebody catch you in the subway, say, yo, Dap, what's going on there? They got a party going on down there somewhere. <laughs> you didn't go. If you was a real hustler, you didn't go in the subway. So I hadn't been in the subway like 19, 20 years. I had to swallow my pride. I remember my brother said, man, go on down there. Ain't nobody going to see you. So I had to go down there. I was literally bringing rolls of fabric up from the garment district on the train. You know how you go on the train, you can go on the, go on the side? I was bringing... You know, rolls of fabric up like that and bags of fabric up like that, man. I remember one of the public kids, Hustles in the Neighborhood, saw me. I'm walking past his car. He cracking up, blowing the horn at me. So if you can't suppress the ego, you ain't going nowhere. That's an amazing lesson. But even after all the raids, you continued doing the same thing, right? Yes. You got raided for copyright infringement. Yeah, I was, I was mad. I was angry. I focused that anger, you know? Say like, wow, y'all took that from me, didn't copy me, you know? I wasn't even doing what y'all was doing, you know? On top of that, I started doing this because you wouldn't sell to me. Do you understand? I mean, I'm angry because I'm born poor and black anyway, you know what I'm saying? And now y'all doing all this to me? I said, no. But you felt right in there, you said you felt you had a right to do it because you were designing something entirely different than that what they were offering and they were not open to your clientele. Exactly. I didn't serve the people they served. I didn't make the things that they were making. So, yes, you're absolutely right. Do they still not want us in their clothes? Do they still? Yeah, do the big... They don't have their clothes any longer. What is their clothes? There's no more their clothes. Their clothes is now our clothes. 
You know, when you look at what they wear, we we determine what fashion is now. We discovered and they discovered there's no such thing as ugly. You know, ugly is the power, you know, is is power determines what's ugly. You know, there's no right or wrong in fashion. There's a weak and strong in fashion. Strong people determine what fashion going to look like. But we changed that narrative. When I came out, I said, no, because you say it looked like, no, we're going to do it our way. And we've been doing it our way since then. You but know? there's no ugly. There's no ugly. There's no such thing as ugly. Ugly is, if, if, if there's such a thing as ugly, is the way people act. It's not the way people look or the way people dress. That's obvious by over time, a period of time, everything is in. What we call ugly today is in tomorrow. So there's really no ugly. It's the who says, like, and I play behind that. You know, like Jack, the one I told you about? Yeah. He wouldn't wear my stuff in the beginning, right? So I took his lieutenant and dressed his lieutenant up. And he said, damn, man, you got my lieutenant looking fly to me. So I flipped him. You know, you understand what I'm saying? So what was like, and, and then the, look look at the, the bougies. Look at all the bougies. They would never get caught with the stuff that I was making. No. Right? And now they buy it with me, my name on the back, big as a light. <laughs> so... There's no, there's no ugly, man. There's no people who are ugly. There's no clothes that are ugly. There's just people who determine what ugly is, man. Yeah. I just came back, back from Africa recently, man. I was looking for ways. Where'd you go? I went to uh, uh, Nigeria, man. This is my third time in Nigeria. So, look, I got, a, I got a global platform now. Because of my partnership with Gucci, I have reached global proportion now, right? It's time now for me to use symbols that are more related to us. So I say, what symbols should I use? I say, I need to use symbols that are subtle but make a great statement. You know, I, I wanted to create clothes with a symbol that's like the Wizard of Oz. You see the Wizard of Oz? No matter who looks at it, a little kid or, or a scholar, they see something of value, something of substance there. I say, that's what I need for a garment to do. If I can make, create a garment... With, with, a, with a powerful symbol on them that relates to us, then that puts us on the international arena whereby we can say, look at us now. You really look at us. Your name is a global brand. Yeah. But is there a logo? I can, I can leave my name behind, right? Yeah, yeah. Why, why, no, why? no, I have a logo that's coming out. But I, I well, why has there not been a logo? Because you understood the power of logos. Why, can, why don't we get a DD? Shaped like LV or whatever, and like run with that. True. I'm a prior to my partnership with Gucci, right? What was I? I was a knock-up guy, not a knock-off guy, but a knock-up guy. What a does knock that mean? Guy. Yes. Yeah, you a knock. Take it and make it better. Better, but what? What's missing with that? Distribution, right? Distribution. So if I take, if I have an idea, right? A great idea. What happened to my great idea? They took it all. I, had, I got nothing from it. I got raided and I got broke and they ran with my idea. So if you have a great idea and you don't have distribution, you know, you have a gift for those with distribution. Do you follow my reasoning? Okay. Yeah. So why didn't I use a logo then? Because they would have took my logo. Guys like who were the real bootleggers. Not the knock-offers. The knock-offers would have took it, and they would have ran with it. And you saw the major brands today. I'm the father of Logomania. Yes. What does that mean? Yes. Yes. I'm the one that gave birth to Logomania, right? Yes. If I didn't have this global presence now with Gucci, I would be getting nothing from that. I'm in museums around the world, yes. but I wouldn't be getting nothing for that if I didn't have this global distribution that allows me to make money off this idea that I created. So, if I, so back in the day, if I had started a logo. I would have crashed and burned like the Phoenix. (laughs) (laughs) What attitude, you talked about the suppression of the ego, and I thought that was really brilliant. Beyond that, what attitudes have most propelled you to success? Um, Everything, everything that I've done, has everything to do with going inside. 
What I mean by going inside is understanding spiritual principles. And when I began to read, I always was like, even like starting now, I was in the Holy Ghost Church. And somehow I went, you know, I studied all, like a lot of the major religions. And I was in the Panther Party Nation, Islam and all of that. But um, somehow you go back to something that's inside of you, that's spontaneous, that you can control, that I saw what happened with my friends who was part of Nation Islam, and I learned from religion. Religion is like a wall, and you can lean on it for support. Yep. But if the structure of that wall falls, then you fall. Yep. But if you build in a structure, you can always stand on your own. And so that's what I did. I let all, all my studies focused on inner strength, you know, denial of things that other people saw fascinating. One, ha- one thing happened to me, right, when I was locked up in, in um, Aruba. Just had, we had just left out. Of, you know, I, I had this. How long? We went on this thing where we was How long just, were you away in Aruba? Uh, locked up. Wow, that was in maybe 69, 70, like that there. 69, no, that was, couldn't be 69, 79, somewhere, yeah, 79. Like, back a, then. like a year? No, how long was I in, incarcerated? Yeah, in, uh, nine months. So anyway, there was a guy who was locked up there, right? Another guy. It was a horrible prison. And speaking of prison, we really need to get uh, ASAP Rocky out of that place because that's what, it, yes. what you're hearing them describe, that's how foreign prisons are. But anyway, going like to what? the point. Like what? Like what? Like horrible conditions. You hear what I say? He's cold and, you know, and the food and, and the sleeping facilities. Horrible, horrible. You want me to describe what it's like? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Can you imagine, right, um, you wake up in the morning. First, you're three, three in a cell, and it's like the cell is like, how can I describe it for people who are not looking at me? The cell is like maybe like four feet, four feet, no, maybe seven feet above. 14 feet, like that, right? And there's three guys in there, right? Then there's a shower, right? But when you're not, and there's a hole in the floor for the water to go out the shower. Yeah, yeah. But when you're not taking the shower, that is also the toilet. Right, 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 right. <laughs> That's a problem. Yeah. That's a problem. You know, and That's going to smell so. up real bad. Yeah, and so um, in the morning, you get a cup of coffee and a piece and a loaf, and a, and a loaf of bread at night, a roll. And for dinner, you get a bowl with who knows what in it. Nine months of that. Mm. And that's what it's like, you know? Mm. And you get a visit. Like, if you read what's going on with ASAP Rocky, only the State Department can come to see you. So by law, someone from your country, from the consulate, has to visit you. So you get a visit once a month, Mm. you know? So Rocky might get a little better. He's not going to get them visits because they're not going to. And he's a friend of yours. I saw a video. Yes, y'all yes, did he's a friend. And that's why we really need to do something about that. So anyway, that's what it was like being being uh, being locked up there, and um, that fortified me too. But while I was locked up there, I studied a lot of spiritual stuff, and I also studied my next venture, which would be to attack, to like like. <clears throat> Like John Dillinger said, you have to go where the money is. So I came up with this scheme where, where I used to um, do bank fraud. And, and I did that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, but you got you to gotta, you gotta look at the reasoning now. I'm moving away from things that hurt people towards things, institutions that take advantage of people, right? Mm. Now, my, my every intention was to be a good guy. You know, but society wasn't allowing me to be a good guy. So I had to use the tools that are available to me. I'm not I'm not bragging about it, but I'm not apologizing for it. You know? So I did what was it. But what would I have been if I was given the same opportunities as everybody else in America? Everything. Everything. Thanks to Dapper Dan for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. 
Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps. And tell your friends about the show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre. It's produced by Jackie Garifano, and it's edited by Brandon Tago. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will no doubt be back next Wednesday with another amazing person because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.